Chapter 6 of The Mummy, A Tale of the 22nd Century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arnie Horton. The Mummy, A Tale of the 22nd Century, by Jane Loudon. Volume 1, Chapter 6. When Edric left his father to seek Dr. Antwerfen, he encountered Father Morris in the way, and so absorbed was he in his own meditations that he had almost passed the reverend father without seeing him. This is quite in philosophy, said the priest with a smile as he intercepted his pupil's path. What is the matter, Edric? I did not think King Cheops himself could have made you so soon forget your old friends. Indeed, I had not forgotten you, for I was thinking of you that very moment. Do you really think it possible? that if I went to Egypt, I might succeed in resuscitating a mummy? I do not doubt it. The ancient Egyptians, you know, believed that the souls of their mummies were chained to them in a torpid state till the final day of judgment, and supposing this hypothesis to be correct, there is every reason to imagine that by employing so powerful an agent as galvanism, reanimation may be produced. If I recollect rightly, the ancient Egyptians did not imagine the souls of their dead remained in their bodies, but that they would return to them at the expiration of three thousand years. And it is now about three thousand years since Cheops was entombed. It is strange, continued Edric, musing. What influence your words have upon my mind? Whilst I listen to you, the racking desire I feel to explore these mysteries becomes almost torture, and I muse upon it till I fancy it an impulse from a superior power and that I am really selected to be the mortal agent of their revelation to man. And why may not this impulse, which seems to operate with such irresistible force upon your mind, and which you say you fancy, be a real feeling implanted in you by the divine author of your being, to guide you to a country where you are destined to attain immortality? Egypt is rich in monuments of antiquity, and all historians unite in declaring her ancient inhabitants to have possessed knowledge and science far beyond even the boasted improvements of modern times for instance could we attempt to erect stupendous buildings like the pyramids where enormous masses are arranged with geometrical accuracy and the labors of man have emulated the everlasting durability of nature are we even capable of conceiving works so majestic as those they put in execution we assuredly are not and in every point excepting in their religion they surpassed us and though, returned Edric, every scheme of religion falls infinitely below the divine perfection of Christianity, yet as Christianity was not revealed in the times we are speaking of, it cannot be denied that the Egyptians made some approach to wisdom even in their devotions. They worshipped nature, though they disguised her under the symbols of her attributes, and gratified the vulgar taste by giving them tangible objects to represent ideas too sublime for their unenlightened comprehension that they entertained the divine idea of resurrection and of rewards and punishment in a future life is evident not only from their favorite fable of the phoenix and the use they made of the now hackneyed image of the butterfly but by the care they bestowed upon the preservation of the body their mournings for the loss of osiris and rejoicings when he was found and the kind of trial to which they subjected the human corpse after death when if serious crimes were alleged and proved against it it was denied the rights of sepulture 
and left to decay unlamented then can any modern institutions excel the wisdom of the laws enacted by the pharaohs or can any modern magnificence equal that displayed in the cities of memphis and thebes and since this will hardly be disputed what country can be more fitting than that once so highly favored to be the scene of the most important discovery ever made by man i perfectly agree with you replied father morris and only wonder with these impressions upon your mind that you can hesitate an instant about undertaking your voyage to egypt alas i have no longer any occasion to hesitate what do you mean my father has just ordered me to quit his house immediately unless i marry rosabella and that no tortures shall ever induce me to do for i hate her then the duke has spoken said father morris gloomily i thought this success of edmund's would open his lips but continued he addressing edric i think you ought to rejoice at such a circumstance as your principal objection to visiting the pyramids was the difficulty of getting your father to consent to such an expedition that objection at least is now removed but how removed father morris think you that i could bear to leave england perhaps for ever and upon an expedition so awful in its tendency and consequences whilst laboring under a father's curse i cannot do it i must again see my father and obtain his forgiveness before i go you are then prepared to comply with his wishes never i have before told you no force shall compel me to marry rosabella and do you imagine sir ambrose will relinquish his project so easily is it not more probable that your opposition will only increase his determination and that another interview if you still refuse to obey his commands may provoke the curse you now seem to dread what shall i do then for in my present state of mind life is a burthen to me my brain feels bewildered go to dr entwerfen's study and remain there concealed for the present till the effervescence of your father's rage shall have evaporated my duty now calls me to my patron but i shall soon return i will then see your father and perhaps a conversation with me may bring him to reason i trust my cause in your hands father said edric and may your eloquence bring it to a happy issue you may depend upon me rejoined the reverend father i feel deeply interested in the business and they parted edric proceeding to seek his tutor and father morris returning to the house of the duke of cornwall when edric entered the study of dr entwerfen he found him engaged in what considering his age and station seemed a very extraordinary amusement he was apparently dancing a hornpipe drawing his heels together and alternately rising and sinking like a clown in a pantomime twisting his face in the meantime into the most hideous grimaces what is the matter cried edric gazing at him with surprise i i i am galvanized cried the doctor in a piteous tone nodding his head with a sudden jerk that seemed to threaten every instant to throw it out of its socket and then suddenly starting he kicked out one leg horizontally and twirled round upon the other with an air of an opera dancer how did it happen cried edric excessively shocked at the unnatural contrast exhibited between the doctor's serious countenance and involuntary antics i can't exactly tell replied the doctor bolting forth his words with difficulty and still swimming grinning and capering to the inexpressible horror of his companion till by degrees his grimaces subsided and he was enabled at last to stand tolerably steady he now informed his pupil that trying some experiments with his galvanic battery 
he had unfortunately operated upon himself and in his turn listened to the account of what had passed between edric and sir ambrose instead of expressing sorrow however when he found his pupil had quarrelled with his father the doctor's eyes sparkled with joy then you must inevitably travel exclaimed he we shall visit the pyramids we shall animate the mummies and we shall attain immortality no i cannot leave england without being reconciled to my father he is old and i may never see him again i could not bear to part from him in anger but consider the object you have in view and the countries you will visit all the english travel i never knew a young englishman in my life who was not fond of it the inhabitants of other countries journey for what they can get or what they hope to learn but an englishman travels because he does not know what to do with himself he spares neither time trouble nor money he goes everywhere sees everything after which he returns just as wise as when he set out not that i blame curiosity no i admire it above all things it is that which has led to all the great discoveries that have been made since the creation of the world and it is that which now impels us to explore the pyramids edric looked annoyed at the conclusion of this speech and to change the subject asked the doctor if he thought his galvanic battery powerful enough for the experiment they meant to try with it powerful exclaimed the doctor why i feel it even now tingling to my fingers ends i should think sir the effect it has upon me is a sufficient proof of the force of the machine if we do go said edric apparently pursuing the thread of his own reflections i should feel inclined to visit other countries besides egypt and so should i i should like particularly to see india for some black letter pamphlets in my possession allude to its being once governed by an old woman and as the regular historians make no mention of the fact i should like to see what traditions i could gather respecting it on the spot the religion of the ancient hindus before they were converted to christianity has been said to have resembled that of the ancient egyptians by comparing the monuments of both one might be made to illustrate the other i should also like before we quit africa to see the celebrated court of timbuktu i have long been in correspondence with a learned pundit there who has communicated to me some of the most sublime discoveries the whole of the interior of africa must be interesting particularly the rising states on the banks of the niger it is generally instructing as well as amusing to watch the birth and struggles of infant republics and to remark how fast the people encroach and then the governors whilst the rulers are weak they are always liberal but their exalted sentiments in general decrease in exact proportion as they become powerful in short resumed the doctor i would willingly traverse the whole world i know but one country that i should dislike to visit and which is that asked edric america i have no wish to have my throat cut or my breath stopped by a bowstring i have a perfect horror of despotic governments then how do you endure the one we live under the case is quite different with us the spur of despotism is scarcely felt and the people being permitted occasionally to think and act for themselves are not debased and brutalized as the slaves of absolute power are in general despotism with us is like a rod which the schoolmaster keeps hung in the sight of his boys but which he has very seldom any occasion to make use of from such despotism as that of the americans however heaven defend us amen for as we are happy now we should be idiots to desire a change what an unphilosophical sentiment exclaimed the doctor 
i am really quite shocked that you edric should utter such a speech what an abominable doctrine remember that if you once allow innovation to be dangerous you instantly put a stop to all improvement you absolutely shut and bolt your doors against it oh it is horrible that such a doctrine should be ever broached in a civilized country you surely could not be aware of what you were saying perhaps i was not for i own candidly i scarcely do know what i am doing to amuse you then i will give you a treat i will show you a curious collection of ballads all of which are at least three hundred years old which a friend of mine picked up in london for me the other day and sent me down this morning by the stage balloon they are all of the genuine rag paper a certain proof of their antiquity for you know the asbestos paper we now use has not been invented more than two hundred years but you shall see them follow me so saying the doctor trotted off to his library that paradise of half-forgotten volumes most of which had been accidentally saved from their well-merited destination of covering over butter and wrapping up cheese to be drawn from the dust and obscurity in which they had lain for centuries to ornament the shelves of dr entwerfen and whose authors if they could have taken a peep upon the earth and beheld them would have been quite astonished to find themselves immortal entering this emporium of neglected learning the doctor hastily advanced to a table on which lay his newly acquired treasures and holding them up exclaimed look edric how beautifully dirty the paper is no art could counterfeit this dingy hue this sooty tinge is the genuine tint of antiquity you know edric in ancient times the caloric employed in culinary purposes and indeed for all the common usages of life was produced by the combustion of wood and of a black bituminous substance or amphilites drawn from the bowels of the earth called coal of which you may yet see specimens in the cabinets of the curious as these substances decomposed or rather expanded by the force of heat the attraction of cohesion was dissolved and the component parts flew off in the shape of smoke or soot this smoke rising into the air was dispersed by it and the minute particles or atoms of which it was composed falling and resting upon everything that chanced to be in the way produced that incomparable dusky hue which the moderns have so often tried though in vain to imitate i beg your pardon edric for using such vulgar language to express what i wish to say but really treating upon such a subject i did not know how to explain myself elegantly oh i understand you very well sir after all the only true use of language is to convey the ideas of one person to the understanding of another and provided that end be attained i really do not see that it is of any consequence what words we make use of true edric dear you make very just observations sometimes well but the ballads i was going to show you my treasures my jewels as the roman lady said of her children look what beautiful specimens these are a little torn here and there and with a few of the lines illegible but genuine antiques i'll warrant every one of them above three hundred years old look it is real linen paper you may tell it by the texture and then the spelling see what a number of letters they put into their words that were of no use look at the titles of them here is the tragical end of poor miss bailey and here cherry ripe and i've been roaming here is the loves of captain waddle and miss roe and here are jessie the flower of dumblane 
and dunois the brave but this is my phoenix here is what will be the envy of collectors here is my invaluable treasure this i believe is absolutely unique and that i am so blessed as to possess the only copy extant the date is wanting but the manners it describes are so unpolished that i should almost think it might be traced back to the times of the aboriginal britons thus it begins at winsbury there was a cocking a match between newton and scroggins the nailers and colliers left work and to spittles they all went jogging tol de rollo i used to be very much puzzled at this burthen which is one of frequent recurrence in ancient songs at first i thought it a relic of some language now irrevocably lost then it struck me it might be an invocation to the deities of the aborigines in short i was quite perplexed and knew not what to think when a learned friend of mine hit upon an idea the other day which seems completely to solve the difficulty he suggests that it was an ancient manner of running up and down the scale and that tol de rol lol had the same significance as do re mi fa which solution is at once so simple and ingenious that i am sure you as well as myself must be struck by it i here omit a few stanzas in which the author enumerates his heroes exactly in the homeric manner the names are so barbarous that i am afraid of loosening my teeth in pronouncing them there was plenty of beef at the dinner of a bull that was baited to death bunny hyde got a lump in his throat which had like to have stopped his breath what a beautiful simplicity there is in that last line which had like to have stopped his breath oh we moderns have nothing equal to it the company fell in confusion to see this poor bunny hyde choke so they hurried him down to the kitchen and held his head over the smoke this develops a curious practice of antiquity you know edric i explained to you just now the manner in which combustion was formerly effected and the causes of the production of what was called smoke i own however it seems a strange way of reviving a half suffocated man to hold his head over smoke which being loaded as i said before with innumerable atoms of all sorts and sizes would one might think be more likely to impede respiration than restore it the fact however is undoubted and it not only affords a curious illustration of the manner of the ancients but is of itself a strong proof of the authenticity of the ballad for such an idea never could have entered the head of a modern to return to poor hyde one gave him a kick of the stomach and another a thump of the brow his wife cried throw him in the stable and he will be better just now this unfeeling conduct of his wife does not say much in commendation of the ladies of those times here follows an hiatus of several stanzas i find however by a word or two here and there that they celebrated the exploits of two gallic heroes the best ith country bred the one was a brassy wing black and the other a dusky wing red these unfortunate victims of the cruelty of man seem both to have perished there is a stanza however before this catastrophe which seems to relate to the combat the conflict was hard upon each till glossy winged blackie was choked the colliers were nationally vexed and the nailers were all provoked this passage seems very obscure nationally is evidently a sign of comparison but i cannot say i ever saw it employed before 
It is, however, another proof of the amazing antiquity of the ballad. After this, it appears that the people broke in upon the ring, and both cocks were crushed to atoms. I don't know whether you are acquainted with the manner in which these Gallic combats were conducted, Edric. A kind of amphitheater was formed, upon which the birds were pitted one against the other, whence the name cockpit. The combatants were armed with large iron spurs, and the victor generally left his rival dead upon the field. The ballad proceeds. The cockpit was near to the church, as an ornament to the town. One side was an old coal pit, and the other was well gorsed round. Gorse was a kind of heath or furze. Peter Hadley peeped through the gorse, in order to see the cocks fight. Spittle jobbed his eye out with a fork, and said, Blast you! It sarves you right! This is very spirited and expressive, though the false quantities render it difficult to read. Some folks may think this is strange, who Wensbury never knew. But those who have ever been there won't have the least doubt, but it's true, for they are all savage by nature, and guilty of deeds that are shocking. Jack Baker, he whacked his own feather, and so ended the Wensbury cocking. It is very fine, certainly, said Edric, who was half asleep. Upon my word, returned the doctor, I don't think you have heard a single word I have been saying. Oh! Yes, I have, replied Edric, every syllable. It was about a man killing his own father and putting his eyes out with a fork. Eh? cried the doctor, somewhat annoyed at this unequivocal proof that though his words might have struck upon the auricular organs of his pupil, they had not reached his brains. The exclamation of the doctor restored Edric to his senses, and he began to apologize. I am really very sorry, said he, but you must excuse my inattention. Sometimes, you know, the mind is not in tune for literary discussions, even when proceeding from the most eloquent lips. This is my case at the present moment. My mind is so occupied by the important change that has just taken place in my affairs that, I own, even your learning and eloquence were thrown away upon me. If that be the state of your mind, replied the doctor with chagrin, it is of no use to show you any more of my literary treasures else i have some of matchless excellence here is a letter addressed to sheridan a witty writer of comedies in the eighteenth century which has never been opened and here is a tailor's bill of the immortal byron which may possibly never have been looked at but here is the most inestimable of my relics look at least at this this piece of paper covered carelessly with irregular strokes and lines was once in the possession of that enchanting that inimitable novelist of the nineteenth century generally distinguished in the works of contemporary writers by the mysterious title of the great unknown see here is half the word waverly written upon it and doubtless all these other irregular marks and scratches proceeded directly from his pen i confess edric i never contemplate this relic of genius without a feeling of reverence and almost of awe Perhaps, say I to myself, when I look at it, when these letters were formed, the first idea had but just arisen in the mind of the author of those immortal works, which were afterwards destined to improve and delight mankind. Perhaps at that very moment, gigantic thoughts were rushing through his brain, and a variety of new ideas opening their treasures to his imagination. Oh, there is something in the mere random stroke of the pen of a celebrated character, inexpressibly affecting to the mind, it carries one back to the very time when he lived. It seems to make one acquainted with him. 
and to let us into the secrets of his inmost thoughts but i see you are not attending to me edric i am very sorry another time i should be happy but now i cannot however when we return perhaps it may be then too late said the doctor with solemnity and locking up his cabinet he led the way back to his common sitting-room in high dudgeon end of chapter six of volume one